Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, we have a complex relationship with psychedelics. To some, they can be gateways to a higher level of consciousness. To others, a poison that should be stamped out. Regardless of where you stand, though, the fact that our brains are capable of creating these fluid, dynamic, altered states of perception seemingly on their own is pretty cool. But can these experiences be created without chemicals? And if so, what might we learn from them? Well, Fiona McPherson is a professor of philosophy and director of the Centre for the Study of Perceptual Experience at the University of Glasgow. She's also a part of the creative team behind Dream Machine. She joins me now. Uh, Welcome to the programme, Fiona. What is Dream Machine? Hello, Jonathan. Uh, Dream Machine is a unique, uh, one-of-a-kind immersive experience. Um, It has been created by Collective Act in collaboration with a whole bunch of different people uh, from Turner Prize winning um, artists, uh, architects Assemble, uh, to John Hopkins, who's a Mercury nominated composer, to myself and and Professor Arnold Seth at the University of Sussex. He's a neuroscientist, I'm a philosopher. And um, we've uh, sort of led team science in putting together this experience. Uh, To explain a little bit more about it, it's um, an experience that's created with white flickering light. And in addition, there's a 360 degree soundtrack that was composed by John Hopkins. To say that it's 360 degrees means that when you're in the dream machine inside it, you sort of you sort of sit back and relax, you close your eyes, and then the speakers in the room will make it as if the sound is all around you and can swirl and change direction all around you. Oh, so it's like an artistic installation? It is indeed, that's right. Okay, and so can you describe it physically so I can see it in my mind's eye, please? Like, am I lying down? Am I sitting in a chair? Um, what, you ha- are sitting in a reclined position um, in a circle, uh, where there would be about 29 other people. It takes 30 people. So um, everyone is sitting with their legs facing in towards the centre of the circle, reclining back. We provide cushions and blankets so that people can get warm and cosy and comfortable. And you close your eyes. So this is an artwork that you experience with your eyes closed. And the uh, dream machine is on the outside. It's built of this um, beautiful blue um, material. And um, once you're inside, um, it has these beautiful wooden uh, reclining uh, circle of seats for people. And above you is the, uh, the, the light system that generates the white lights that flash on and off at various frequencies. Uh, okay, so if I'm getting it right, I'm sitting down, uh, I'm lying back, I'm nice and comfortable, yes. I'm with uh, 29 other strangers, I have my eyes closed and there's some lights flashing. Why, why would that be an interesting experience for somebody? So what we find and what we have known, we as a human race have known for over 200 years is that if you um, close your eyes and you experience flickering light, then you start to have visual experiences that are created by your own mind and brain. So early vision scientists noticed this. They noticed that if they looked up at the sun, closed their eyes and just flickered their fingers or their hand in front of their eyes, they noticed that they started to have visual experiences. And perhaps the person who popularised this effect the most is the artist Brian Geisen. 
So he was a beat uh, artist in the 1960s. And one day he was sitting on a bus going down the road where there were trees spaced out along the road and the sun was shining in through the trees and he had his eyes closed against the window of the bus. And he started to have these extraordinary uh, visual experiences of colours and shapes and forms. And he realised what was causing this, that it was the, the sun flickering through the trees. And he went home and built his own homemade dream machine, which consisted of a cylinder of cardboard placed on a record player with shapes cut out of it and a light bulb stuck down the middle of it. And as the record player turned, the cylinder turned and the light came through the holes and flickered on your eyes. And he created this first uh, dream machine. Okay, so I'm I'm really... I'm really surprised I haven't heard of this. You're not talking about just seeing a negative version of what you you you've been looking at. You're talking about absolutely not having um, what hallucinations that that are, that don't resemble the shapes you've been looking at. Exactly. You are what? just you are just being exposed to white flashing light, and people report a range of experiences. In common, they are mostly very colourful uh, uh, experiences and almost everyone reports seeing some geometrical shapes. So by that I mean things like grid patterns, spirals, swirls, triangles, various different geometric patterns. What? And what's... What's and, and some people see far more beyond that. So some people will also experience houses and trees. A lot of people uh, report that they see the stars, the kind of universe laid out in front of them, and they feel like they're traveling through the universe. That is, and what's it's absolutely incredible. It really is something to behold. And what's interesting about those geometric patterns is that these geometric patterns have been recorded by ancient peoples for centuries. So, for example, the Aboriginal Australians went into dark, deep, dark caves where there was no light and sat there for several days. So basically they were depriving their eyes of input and they, we think, experienced these very geometrical forms. And we we know that because they drew them on the caves. They drew the very same patterns that people see in our dream machine. Circles, spirals, hatchings, grid patterns, and so on. So what we think is going on is that in the absence of sensory input or in a noisy environment where there's your eyes are receiving a signal of something's happening, but it but really nothing other than something's happening. The brain and the mind try and make sort of sense out of it and and try and, if you like, guess or figure out what's out there in the world and produce these experiences for us. We know that people suffer hallucinations in these kinds of conditions. The most common form of hallucination that people experience in everyday life are auditory hallucinations. You sometimes think you hear someone calling your name or you think you hear the phone ring and it turns out that it's not. And you often hear this when you're in the shower and you might think, why would you hear this when you're in the shower? Well, when you're in the shower, the noise of the shower all, all around you is this shh yeah. noise. 
and that's that's basically white noise and your brain is desperately searching for a signal in amongst this noise and usually you end up hearing something that you would hear very commonly like your doorbell or the phone or someone shouting your name so i'm sure most of us have had that experience you just get in the shower you go all wet and warm and lovely and then uh, so you hear something you get out dripping wet trying to see what, what was that and then it turns it's out usually it's my, my it was it, it did happen to me and it was my child crying there you when go. I That's was hoping, when, when I was when I was hoping it wouldn't, I, I did hallucinate <laughs> that the number of times. Um, there you go. So this, this is re- this is blowing my mind, um, Fiona. So uh, we can induce sort of drug-like um, hallucinations by flickering light uh, upon our eyelids, and, and I suppose if you can um, create hallucina- hallucinations with with chemicals. Um, there's probably no reason why we can't experience that without that because because of the the process of the brain and you spoke to That's um exactly right. I, I know that that Anil Seth was involved in this a neuroscientist we've had on the program many times and um and he was he was talking about how our brain fills in these patterns as 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 you you explained there so do we know what's going on i mean have have we done any studies to see how and why these people experience these things because my first th- theory when you described the dream machine was that th- this was some sort of mass psychedelic I- experience. But but if it happens on an individual level, then that can't be the case. Well, I think it depends what you mean there by psychedelic. So everybody oh, I meant, sorry, in... psychogenic, psychogenic. Psychogenic, so, so I see, you know, I see. you know, when... Um, when a town, um, uh, someone gets sick in a town and then they say it's because of witches and then lots of people get yes. sick because they, they all, it's a sort of a mass illusion. Um, yes. But, but it, so it doesn't no, seem it, to be having that, 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 it, that doesn't seem to be happening. No, that's not the effect, we think. Um, now, we, d- we know a little bit about what's going on, but only a very, very little. So as I've said, the, we know that in conditions of noise, or an absence of signal, that's when people ha- often have hallucinations. So we think b- that's because the brain is trying to make best sense of what's going on in the world. Yeah. It happens um, if someone's going blind or becomes blind suddenly, um, about 99% of people who go blind experience um, hallucinations, visual hallucinations. Wow. Um, that's called Charles Bonnet syndrome. And... Um, Originally, so I would say probably about 50 years ago when people went blind, very, very few people reported hallucinations and it was thought that they only occurred in about 1% of people who went blind. And then um, a a neurologist, um, a a scientist, uh, Dominic Fitch um, uh, in London, uh, he studied this syndrome and he thought that people who were going blind or became blind suddenly weren't he thought that they were all having these hallucinations but didn't want to report them because they were worried that it wasn't just that they were going blind but that they were losing their minds. Right. And he um, started to tell people who were going blind or who became blind, look, it's very likely that you will start hallucinating, but Mm. don't worry, it doesn't mean that you're... um, you know, that something else is wrong with you. Um, It's just what we expect because in the absence of a visual signal, the brain will start to make up content if you like um sort of desperately searching for for a signal and for, um, for information about the world but so but what, what you're describing that, what you're describing um there is a complete lack of stimulation if someone goes blind they, you know, right. they lose that and, and i can understand how the brain would make stuff up in the absence of information but when you are 
when you're flashing lights at someone, yeah. is that is that so, the same? I would have thought that would be that would be something uh, that is some sort of stimulation, the opposite of of white noise. Um, it's not so. It's the opposite of the absence of stimulation. You're stimulating it a lot, but. It's like a noisy signal. So right. in the way that the shower makes a shh sound, right? The shower can be a very loud sound, um, but it's that in among that there's no sort of pattern in amongst there, right? It's just random noise. And in a way, I think the flashing light you can think of it as very similar to that. Now, so it's not it's the flashing light is not a it's not a, a pattern of on on a regular beat. It's 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 varied in some way. Is it? So what we do um, is that um, it is on a regular beat, but we change the beat over time. Right. Um, you don't have to change the beat over time and you do need to get the right frequencies to cause this effect. But although there's a sort of on-off pattern, if you like, yeah. that can be regular, there's nothing, be you know, there's no content beyond that. Um, and then why, I mean, there are other things that people say. So one thing is why do we all experience or most people experience these geometric forms? Mm. Some people think that that is the, if you like, the very wiring of the visual cortex somehow making itself manifest in our experience. We don't know this for sure. This is quite speculative. Another thing that seems to be important here is the alpha um, rhythm of brain waves. So your brain sort of has this rhythm or different rhythms that it has at different times of day. Mm. When you're relaxed but awake, the brain shows this alpha rhythm and it seems as if the flickering light influences our brain rhythms and in particular that alpha rhythm. Um, and that that is something to do with why we have these experiences. But that's the level of our knowledge at the moment. We don't know much more than that. And so one thing that we're really interested in in the Dream Machine Project from a scientific and philosophical perspective is to find out more about the experiences that people are having in the Dream Machine. So when people, after they come out of the Dream Machine, they go into an area that we call the reflection zone. And there they can make drawings of what they visually experienced and the range of drawings and the beauty of the drawings that we are getting from people is absolutely extraordinary. If you go onto our website for the Dream Machine, you can see some of these drawings are absolutely stunningly beautiful. And we're also asking people to make use of a sensory tool that we have developed in line with um, a company called Holition and, and the Collective Act Dream Machine team, where we ask people to digitally create a version of their visual experience and then to reflect on what they felt and what they thought and what they heard and how what they heard affected what they saw so that we get information about people's experience in order to hopefully learn more about what's going on. Because this is more about more than just about visuals. It's, it's also about consciousness and interpretation, isn't it? I mean, dualism and materialism. It certainly is. So in a way, there's two ways in which these questions arise. So one is, how, I mean, the sort of big question of consciousness, the hard problem of consciousness is how is it that neurons, grey and white neurons in your brain with electricity firing across them, how is it that those can produce consciousness to begin with, to produce your visual experience, your auditory experience and so on? And that's something that I personally think that we're no further forward in answering. We really, um, we don't know how mm. that happens. And then... From a, a, a specifically perception point of view, a question that 
absolutely fascinates me is if you're sitting there with your eyes closed in a room that has just white light and you start to see things like red squares and yellow triangles, you really seem to be aware of those things. But where are they? They're not in the room in front of you. There's no yellow triangles in your brain. So where are these yellow triangles that you seem to experience? And Mm. that is a question that has really um, dominated the whole of philosophy of perception for hundreds of years, I would say. Um, And what makes that question fascinating is that there doesn't seem to be a good answer. So some people have said, well, there must be a mental realm. If you're aware of this yellow triangle and it's not in the physical world around you and it's not inside your head, uh, you know, it's not, there's no yellow triangles in your brain, there must be a mental realm and somehow you're accessing a mental realm. And that kind of view is, you know, was up until probably about 30 or 40 years ago, the most popular view of perception in philosophy. The what idea was a that, mental realm? Yeah. Sounds like yeah, something absolutely. from Lord of the Rings. It, you, I can see why you say that. Um, but So, for example, Bertrand Russell thought that you, when you see the world around you, you don't see the world around you directly. You only see it in virtue of seeing objects in a mental realm. Why did he think that? Because we're subject to illusion and hallucination. You could have, he would say, that the very same experience that you're having when you say you're looking at a vase of flowers whether you're looking at one in the world or whether you were hallucinating. Well, his thought was, if you can have that when you're hallucinating, then maybe you're always, if you like, just directly aware of these mental objects. And when those mental objects correspond to the world, that's how you get to see the world. So it's called an indirect theory of perception. You see the world often uh, and you see it accurately often. It's just in this way because you see it because you get access to these things that your mind creates. Now, not everyone likes that theory, in in part and and probably mostly because it does posit this mental realm distinct from the physical. And and many people are very um, unhappy with thinking that there's more to the world than the physical. So those people have a hard time then in explaining, well, how is it you can at least seem to be be aware of a yellow triangle when there's Mm. no physical ones around, especially in the circumstance where what you are aware of is something you've never seen before. So we know that there are colour experiences that people have that don't correspond with any colours that exist in the world. And we know that in the dream machine, some people are reporting experiencing colours that they don't otherwise see in their everyday lives. Wow. And it seems like you come to have knowledge of that colour by having this experience of it. Well, the kind of the view that says, well, there isn't a mental realm. The, the materialists, um, so to speak. The materialists, yeah. Some of some of these people are materialists. I would say not all of them are, but most of them are materialists, and there's certainly a good number of them that are driven by a desire to be materialists. They would say, look, there's not a mental realm. It's not that you are aware of a yellow triangle. It's just that you seem to be aware of a yellow triangle, and that is a very very interesting move. So if you think back to probably you know the most classic piece of philosophy and mm. um, what we often teach our undergraduates first is about René Descartes and he started off his meditations by saying and noticing that we often get the way the world is wrong on occasion we mm. think we hear someone shouting their name when they're not yeah. uh, we think we see something when we don't we think something's square when it's really circular 
And he said, we can get the nature of the world wrong. But what he said was, at least you know you're experiencing that thing. And so he came up with the very one thing that couldn't be doubted was, I exist, or rather, I exist because I think, I think, therefore I exist, cogito ergo sum. And so he put our knowledge of the nature of our mind at the kind of core of what we can be certain about. Yeah. But this alternative view of what's going on is that, well, you think you're experiencing a little triangle, but you're really not. You don't even <laughs> know the nature of your own mind on this view. God, it's fascinating that this um, dream machine uh, is coming to Belfast Carlisle Memorial Church um, July 25th till September 4th. Tickets are free, but you have to book. I highly recommend you get on a train and go see this. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Fiona McPherson, Professor of Philosophy and Director of the Centre for the Study of Perceptual Experience at the University of Glasgow. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If I could just add that we're also running a perception census we're online. We were asking people to... Um, record the nature of their perception so that we understand the diversity of perception in everyday life i'd be very grateful if your you if your listeners would um uh, would go online and have a look at that to discover the nature of their own perception and how it's different from other people's how do they do that fiona uh, if they go on to the um dream machine website if you look up dream machine uh, on a search engine or you go to uh, dreammachine.world you'll find uh, links to the perception census there and all the details of the dream machine fiona thanks so much again Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. <laughs>